Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say to shift gears a little bit more towards the education side now that we've sort of got uh, kind of our origin stories out of the way. Um, there are many apps out there and schools tend to be very cautious when it comes to sort of this topic of, you know, applications and games and, and technology in general. So, mm -hmm. so my scenario to you guys both is, uh, so let's say you guys set up a business where, you know, schools were knocking on your door to bring VR, maybe as a consulting basis, bring VR into schools, uh, set it up and have kids try it. Give me like your top three games or apps that you think you'd bring into a school because you thought uh, it would be a selling point for, for either students or students and teachers, et cetera. Gotcha. So this is uh, this is the one of the ones that Ronnie and I had actually had a chance to discuss a little bit beforehand. And oddly enough, two out of the three, two out of the three games that we uh, had to decide, we we had the same ones. And, and this was independent. Like yeah, this he, was completely he came up with his list. I came up with my list. And and granted, do want to put out the disclaimer that we are a part, podcast that so far has been mainly focused on games, just because a lot of the content out there has been you know, games uh, has, yeah. have been games. So I think my first quick answer to your question would be, I think it would be a great idea to start a business uh, uh, <laughs> like that. And, and that, and that one, but if I was going to do that, I would really have to spend a lot of time even more. So like, I think people like us that have been in this field would have a leg up. Um, but still we would have to, I would have to go through my steam library and then really spend a lot of time seeing what people out there are saying about titles and try them for yeah. myself before. So, so, so our list is probably not very exhaustive because we haven't gotten to try a lot of the best educational VR titles out there. But that said, out of the games that we've played, we... Which is still pretty extensive, oh, I'd say. I mean, I, or at least we try yeah. to hit a lot of the, the main ones. Yeah, I don't we, want to sell us too short. But, but two, two out of the three titles that we both picked independent, like, they were the same. So yeah. those so, are well, probably good we'll, ones. We'll start with that list because we'll, we'll give you a total of four, the two that we had together and then the one, ones that we had independently. Uh, so I think the top one for both of us was Google Earth. Um, okay. And I think for, for obvious reasons, I think once you get a chance to, if you've ever tried Google Earth before, then you know, then you know the, the basics of it. You know just In how VR. cool of, well, I'm ta talking about just regular Google oh, Earth. Okay. You know, th I think it's just cool to be able to see, you know, all that satellite footage all of, and be able to like kind of drill down. And then when you can do that in a virtual space where you can literally zoom to what it is to be, well, they started off with Godzilla scale, but then they were able to scale it down to what human scale would be like. Um, I mean, I, I think from an educational standpoint, that's incredible. And for people who just want to know different parts of the world, I, I think there's no better way to really understand that. Like before, and again, like this is such a leap in technology that I think we're, no matter how much we appreciate it, at the end of the day, we're still going to underappreciate just how monumental it is. And I, I'm not trying to be, you know, o overestimating anything, but the the fact is that, like, the person who saw the first map or the first globe, you know, that that's really the only concept that you had before. Whereas now you can you can be in there and you could see what it's like and 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 zoom from one place to the next at incredible speeds if you really wanted to. And granted, it's not the real world. Uh, you know, the, some of the satellite footage isn't fully developed or, or you know, look, gr looks great. But I think to, to get a full sense of, of what the world and what a map looks like, 
there's nothing that you, you can't go backwards anymore, you know? And, and I don't know, Ronnie, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, on that point, I, listening to what you were saying, Zane, to me, it's almost like I remember seeing Google Earth for the first time, you know, non-VR, just traditional Google Earth on a, on a desktop or even a phone, and thinking, wow, like, I can't believe they have pictures and images of all of these different places. I can literally see any, any place that, that is the, out there on my phone. And mm-hmm. Google, v, Google Earth VR takes that to the next level. It's no longer, I can see all places on my phone or on my, my desktop. It's, I can literally be any place. Yep. Uh, I can literally step into, in, into Google Earth and actually feel what it would be like to be in, in, that, in that space. And, and, and a lot of the, the most fun places is, like, I mean, I remember when the app first came out, uh, just messing around with it with my wife and with a lot of our different relatives and learning about people through the app. Um, Ah, I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah, My my wife was kind of showing me uh, the neighborhood where she grew up Mm -hmm. and, and this is where I went to school and all these, like a lot of the things that you would do in real life if you were actually to visit those locations. But now all of a sudden, like you're here with someone and you're bonding over getting a chance to, I mean, it's just as fun for the person showing off those places mm-hmm. as it is for the person experiencing them. So, so, and that's, that's a good example also of, of kind of the interactions between someone using VR versus not. I yeah. mean, I literally, one of us would be in the headset and the other person would be like, oh, okay, now, now go left a little bit. Like, yeah, right there. Like that's the place that blah, blah, blah. But like, see, and, and, and not, not to, to jump in, but where we're at right now is, is still somewhat like rudimentary and we're going to look at it as old fashioned. Like at some point it's going to be super easy to jump in with two, mul- three, multiple people in VR or in Google earth and be able to like take these people with you. And when you're there, be able to point with your avatar and them to see the human scale person pointing to like, Oh, this is where I was at. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and you see that in other, other multiplayer experiences, but we're going to get there. I totally agree. So I agree too. So that's the, you good, Ronnie? Yeah. Okay. So I so, think we're good on yeah. that. But Google Earth VR, one of the coolest things yeah. I think you can do in VR. So, so that was, that was one for, for educational. And this, this is also educational, but from a different standpoint, uh, tilt brush was another one that we both, uh, had on our lists. Uh, and I think it's, it's educational still for obvious reasons. I think anybody, honestly, I, I feel like anybody with any type of, uh, visually artistic or creative abilities and passions should be spending multiple hours a day in there. I mean, this is this is going to be the future of of art. Like, this is going to be how you can share your art on a different level, uh, in a completely different medium, with literally anybody in any part of the world. You know, we're, we're we have uh, the Oculus Go, and we're gonna have the Oculus Quest, and like, there's gonna be all these other types of uh, headsets that will come out th- that are going to be much more uh, available to the general public and, and much more mainstream in terms of pricing. And so, you know, I think anybody who's getting a jump in now, there's we're, we're going to start seeing like who these yeah. top artists are. And maybe not from, maybe not even from like a, you know, mm-hmm. this is going to be the Van Gogh of whatever. Like, I, I think just from a, from a purely um, entrepreneurial standpoint, I think anybody who's really starting to make waves in here now can, can, may be approached by companies in the future to design uh, landscapes or things like that within VR because they have that artistic ability and are able to, to cater to it. Yeah. And, and I think along with what Zane was saying, I mean, yeah, I would, I would lump in like th- there are a lot, there are a few other apps out there that do 
similar but different things like uh, when it comes to sculpting and making 3D models and I mean really tilt brush is the best example that uh, of 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 something that that Zane and I have spent a lot of time in but um, there there are a few apps out there a lot of apps actually that do a really great job of allowing yeah. people to make and create things in VR and I think that that like like I would want I would want several of those on a list of of you know, of, of titles that I would be sharing with students because, um, and, and I think you're, you're seeing this as a trend with a lot of the titles that we're picking is that it allows it. I think what VR can do for education is it makes certain types of activities and certain types of, of creating, uh, much more tangible, uh, for people that are learning and, and for, for people in general. I mean, I think the the ability to be able to create 3D models and 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 just be able to see what you're creating in a much more realistic and intuitive fashion in VR allows uh, a lot of people that would be limited in from from experiencing those types of things. It just gives them mm-hmm. much greater access. And the thing is, we're going to be living in a virtual world. I mean, I don't know if anybody else has seen Ready Player One, but like that. That is going to happen, and I, I think it's going to happen much sooner than 2045, but in, in a way that, you know, Second Life was really popular, and granted, I didn't play it back in the day, but th- there are going to be spaces that will be created completely, you know, virtual spaces that people will be going to, be able to go into from anywhere in the world with probably multiple different types of headsets, and, you know, the people who are going to be designing these, and, and there's just going to be a lot that comes with it from an artistic standpoint. Uh, and like you said, maybe even like architectural standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when so, you guys go into that, like I can't remember if it was Ronnie or Zane said that uh, you were into art. Because what the reason I sort of bring it up is what I find with uh, tilt brush is that if you're a non-artist, so you know a, a jock or someone uh, that just has no artistic ability, they tend to muck around a bit in there, but then they're not sure after that where to go and what to do. Have you noticed any of that uh, with your tilt brush experiences? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I have because I, I mean, I haven't had a chance to show it to a lot of different age groups, but I have showed tilt brush to a lot of different types of people. And and you're definitely right. I mean, some some people respond to it and and really want to create, you know, really detailed or super like they they get the 3D you know, 3D-ness, I don't know, <laughs> of, of, of the app and they start creating things in, in three-dimensional space and really constructing kind of mm-hmm. more so than painting, they're constructing like more elaborate kind of structures. And then, and then other people that, you know, kind of uh, will paint flat pictures. And then, and then, yeah, the third type is people that just kind of, you know, swirl it all around yeah. in the air. And I mean, I, I think there's still advantages for all of those different things. I'd say it depends on the age group, I would imagine, because for, for, for quite, for younger people, I think just being able to in- explore the, the space in and of itself and interact yeah. with the space is, is interesting. So even if they're just, you know, messing around with the tools and, and kind of learning what different tools can be used for, I, I mean, I think there's, there's some appeal there, but I don't know. Do you have Zane? Do you, do you have anything to talk say? Um? Yeah, well, I, so I just wanted to bring up like you know we are showing this also to a lot of like first time VR users, uh, and again this isn't this isn't their headset right? Like the, a lot of times it'll be people who are coming in trying it for the first time. So there's a, a, a what I feel like the, the most common like 
vibe I get is, you know, the awkwardness of like, oh, I could spend more time in here, but I feel like I'm just hogging it, you know, but I'm, which I'll reply and be like, no, that's the whole point. But, uh, <laughs> but the, to, to more directly answer or to more directly like get at what, um, Ronnie was talking about, I, I feel like, uh, they're what we're doing right now. And actually Craig, what you were saying earlier in terms of people just kind of mucking around and then getting bored, I think the non-VR equivalent of what you know we would what we're doing with folks is literally giving them a couple of markers, and 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 a piece of paper and telling them to doodle, right? So like at some point, no matter what uh, artistic medium, like they're gonna get bored. But I think if there is some type of, I mean. And now, now I'm getting really excited because I'm just thinking about like YouTube videos, for example, right? Where you can, the, those painting classes where you can go and like somebody teaches you how to paint something, you know, by, step by step by drawing in things first. Now, not only can you watch that in a YouTube video, but you could actually be there with someone in VR showing you how to do these things in a, in a human to human scale way. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that if people, A, had more time in it and a little bit more comfort and B maybe had a little bit more direction. Um, mm. there wouldn't be as much mucking around. And I think the mucking around is really just because, uh, everything is very much in an infancy stage. And a lot of times, like th- these are the first experiences that people are going to have. So it, it is just going to be the equivalent of doodling in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, or, or, oh, or C or, or C, uh, gamify it. I think I remember seeing sort of a mode in there where you could, kind of play, you know, guess what I'm drawing yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that, but gamifying exactly. it. I don't think, mm-hmm. yeah, I had, I'm going to have to open the app back up because I, I know that was probably an update that I haven't had a chance to mess around with because I'm, yeah, that sounds really cool. Well, I don't know. Well, is that, I don't know if that's within the game itself, but I did, I do remember hearing like people playing Tilt Brush Pictionary or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, no, that's really cool. I, I mean, and, and I, one other thought I had about Tilt Brush and just VR creation in general and, and why I think it's important for education. I think part of what's important um, to remember about, about what education, like some of this, and it depends, I would imagine, on, and I, we're not, I'm not an educator, so I'm I, by no means um, an expert in any of this stuff, but I would think that there's some value in terms of uh, like exposing uh, children and, and, and people that are learning to... Uh, new forms of, of, of creation or new forms of, of technology that they have a potential chance of using, you know, for, for all kinds of reasons later on in their life. So, for example, I mean, like when I was a kid, um, we had a computer lab. And sometimes we were in there uh, taking typing lessons because we needed to learn how to type. And as a kid, I had no idea why I needed to learn how to type. This is like before, <laughs> uh, literally, I like I, for whatever reason, I guess like for kids, you like uh, at least back then they had no reason to give you any context for why you were learning what you were learning. Yeah. So literally, I was just going in there and just like yeah, get fast at typing words. Um, but yeah, we we would go do that, and then we would also get to play various educational games, and that was always a ton of fun. And I mean. To some extent, I mean, most of the time when we were using those computers for whatever we were using them for, whether we were messing around in paint and a paint application or we were playing Carmen, Carmen San Diego or uh, Oregon Trail or we were typing. I mean, all of those things we were getting acclimated and used to using computers. Yeah. 
Mm. That was something that, that at the time, like when I would go home, when I was that young, I would go, I would come home and not be on computers. Right. But this was like the first experience of just learning what it was like to operate and get around on a desktop. And I'm sure eventually if I wouldn't have had those skills, you know, getting into technology the way I did later would have been more difficult or who knows, like it would have been different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and similarly, I think with VR, I think whether maybe not, maybe creating in VR isn't for everyone, but it is for some people. And, and if, if VR and AR and all of these different types of, of technology tools that are being used today, um, are going to mature and be important tools in real professional environments, real creative environments, getting exposed to that really early uh, could provide people with real benefits later. Yeah. So, exactly. so well, well said. Yeah. Bravo. I'm, I'm, I'm clapping. I'm air clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, those were some thoughts I had on, on, on tilt brush just in yeah. general. And no, I agree. Yeah, so just just so getting number the three. Game. Let's hear your number three. Okay, so number three, uh, I'll go with mine uh, is Beat Saber, and um, I, I'm I'm wow, huge. interesting. I would have never. So again, I'm a faithful listen to listener to your show, and so I know you guys uh, quite a bit actually because of that. <laughs> and that was not that was not my guess. So good, good job. I, I have another guess you. too. So maybe you'll, but we'll see. Well, oh, you, oh yeah. You, Ronnie has, uh, his, no, his third no, one, yeah, but yeah, no, no, that's fine. So, um, Beat Saber, like I love the game and I, I'm about to show a lot of love to Beat Saber, but it's not my, it's not my favorite. It's one of my favorite, but I truly think that it is at this moment right now, one of the top experiences in VR from a very like, overall overview perspective. Um, and I, I, the reason is because I can list three very, very tangible benefits that everybody gets when they play Beat Saber. The first is obviously exercise. You are up, you are about, you are moving. And oddly enough, my wife and I have used it to help get our extra steps or extra calories on our, on our fitness trackers. Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, easy or, or something where you're just standing around. It it is a very active experience. Number two, um, it improves hand-eye coordination, uh, in a very obvious way. It it improves hand-eye coordination and, um, it is, it's, it's something where, you know, I I feel like a lot of gamers just in general have good hand-eye coordination because it's developed from being able to, even though, though you're looking at a flat screen, you understand what's needed to be able to to do a certain move, to do a certain trick, whatever it is uh, at a certain point in a game. And timing becomes important, so therefore what you're watching and how that reacts, even though you're only twiddling your thumbs, like that's huge, right? So like I, to me, that I, I think that there's a lot that comes from that. Now you're able to use your entire body, so hand, hand-eye coordination becomes another big factor. And the third is that from a musical standpoint, it builds your sense of rhythm. Like, even though it it has become completely gamified, which is totally fine, the idea is that you are playing to things in rhythm as long as the development is done well. There are definitely some some of the songs that I've tried where, like, it's a little bit off and it throws, as a musician, it throws me off because I'm just like, this feels weird. Like, I can't do it. But, um, you know, from, from that perspective, I think just those three, like, people playing this game are playing a game, yet to me, they're getting three benefits or those three benefits and maybe more that I haven't thought of yet that, you know, that they're not getting in any other VR experience. And again, I'm not saying that it's my v- favorite VR experience. I'm just saying that, like, I think if you're going to look at it from 
uh, a really, really general point of view. There's nothing that beats Beat Saber in terms of what the user gets out of it. And I, and I want to add that for, for people out there that don't know, Zane is a musician as well. So he makes his own music. So Yeah, we don't need to plug that. But yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe that did, shade my, that, sh- that did shade my answer a little bit but in no, terms but, of why I like VR. But, but I think that that's important to know. Or sorry, not VR, yeah. but, but Beat Saber. I think that's important to know, though, because if someone that, that is a creator himself sees value and sees benefits to some of the things that he's doing in a certain oh, title. exactly. I think that gives credibility to, to well, a lot hopefully. of your points. I, 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 I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, especially for any, like, musicians or, or, or you know, as kids aspiring in music, I think that, like, one, it's a fun game to play. If, if you remember um, Dance Dance Revolution or Guitar Hero, like, those were pretty big back in the day, and I think for, for popular reason, they, they gamified music and rhythm, and, and before you were, well, I mean, Dance Dance Revolution was awesome because you were jumping around, so there's a lot of good benefits from there, mm-hmm. uh, probably a lot of the same benefits that you get from Beat Saber, um, but, you know, I, I think as we've seen kind of that genre evolve, uh, I'm really excited to see what else you can do in VR, you know, maybe five years from now when it comes to rhythm and you know those types of games the, the two the two other titles and these aren't on my list but they're just ideas that came into my mind when hearing your your points on beat saber mm-hmm. uh two quick ones uh electronauts came to mind oh yeah and then also soundstage though mm-hmm. that one's a little bit more i think complicated. yeah that's, that's i mean that that's a cool one not not for, for for different reasons but yeah that's that's another cool one but for music for yeah, music yeah specifically especially. so and what's yours ronnie oh so yeah so i i guess the the other one that i had on my list and this is just, no matter what, this I always come back to this game because it was one of the first things I tried in VR. I tried it on the DK1 first. I've, I've, used, I've tried it in the Rift and the Vive sense, and I'm always, it's Titans of Space. That's, that's, that's my other educational VR title that I wanted to, to choose out of the three. And the reason I picked Titans of Space, I still think it's one of the best titles for uh, getting a sense of scale in the universe because... That was one of the things that wowed me about VR. And I think it's one of the things that, I mean, a lot of the educational, like the, the type, so there's obviously a lot of games that are going to, that I think have educational value from the standpoint of you just get to, you get to develop skills, like whether they be problem solving skills or or musical or creation skills, um, all these. The other one is being able to demonstrate and learn things in VR uh, that you that make uses of the technology uh, that you wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know, besides going to real places or uh, getting a sense of scale, being in a place, and, and all of the things that you benefit from and learn about those things um, from, you know, from actually getting to see that sense of scale. So in Titans of Space, you're in a little pod. It takes you around our solar system. So it takes you from basically, you know, you're starting, you're going from planet to planet, and eventually you get outside of the solar system and uh, spoiler alert, you start seeing, you know, the, some, the, some of the, cl- the nearest by stars. And then you see the different scales of, of some of, you know, the, like what are, how big our, our star, the sun is compared to uh, some of the other nearby stars and then some of the largest known stars. And I just remember just being, completely just like an awe of how big uh some of these uh, some of these different types of of uh of of, of they're not entities but i'm trying to <laughs> space entities. yeah uh, all, all these different bodies are um out there in the universe and it just makes you uh it, it's something that was unique to vr in the sense that i could watch 
you could watch what was happening in, in Titans VR on a, on a flat screen a million times, and I would never get the sense of our scale and, and just... Of being in uh, it. Yeah, and the lesson learned um, from, that, I got, that I got when I tried it for the first time and experienced it in VR. Because you, you really recognize just how mo- monumentally big some of these things are. And I mean, that's some of the reason I, I love the blue, for example. Like the sense of scale when you see the, the big whale yeah. coming at you. Or, and and I, I was looking into some of the... I didn't get a chance to try a lot of these different... Uh, some of these different apps. But when I was looking... It, when I was just Googling what some of the top VR educational titles are, like a, a lot of them look to me to be like... Um, you know, experiences where you would get to uh, see things of great scale or or, yeah. or, or visit. And, and I, I really think that that's a unique experiential aspect of VR that, uh, you know, you that you can only get through that media. So that's that's my that's my plug for Titans VR, because I, I still think it's a it's a super cool app. And it's and, and in general, um, uh, like I said, I don't want to I don't want to do an injustice to uh some of the experiences and titles that are out there already. Um, but thinking back to some of the, the, the titles that I, we've included on our list, and then also just like kind of looking out there to see what else is available. I mean, I, I still think that there's a huge need and demand for even more and more of these, of these types of experiential titles mm-hmm. that, are, that are not necessarily games that are not, they don't need to be gamified, I, I don't think. Um, experiences that just speak for themselves and 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 really emphasize yeah. presence and space i i think that that's going to be a big thing in terms of i think we're going to see as vr gets bigger and as some of these more consumer focused i mean we all know that uh the vibe the rift all these things i mean you still need a computer there's still a limited number of people out there that know how to to use and hook this stuff up i think as vr gets more and more mainstream hopefully we're going to see more and more uh, high quality experiences like these. I think I think VR has a potential of becoming much more experience, experiential and much more educational than it even is right now. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that we probably won't even get a chance to to touch on is you know many say VR is literally an empathy machine because it's so realistic and immersive, mm-hmm. and you're you're seeing that like you're seeing some of the film festivals now. Whether it's the Sundance Film Festival, et cetera, where one of the categories is, you know, a VR film. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you sit down for 10 minutes and learn like the plight of children in Syria. And when it's done in VR, you literally end up leaving the film in tears. Yeah. No, because, yeah, like you were saying before, and like what we, I think we've all been touching on, it's, uh, you know, you're able to experience things to a very personal degree in yeah. VR. Um, you're connected to it. You're a part of it. And, and, and there are a few ways of doing it better than, than VR, honestly. At this point. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you, I, that was a really nice uh, term that you, I'm, I'm going to give it to you, Craig, for coining it. Em- empathy machine. Is that what you called it? Yeah. I, I can't even sort of say that <laughs> I, like I, that. I coined it. I, I probably read it somewhere and then, uh, kind of reused it but anyway yeah it's uh it's a it's a big category of mine uh, as i set up vr uh at this new school i'm at and then uh i had set up a vr lab at my old school back in canada in calgary mm-hmm. you know one of the things that is 
very worrisome of parents is what kinds of experiences are you giving my kids? Because, you know, we sort of are changing gears here for a minute, but a lot of parents are worried that we're exposing them to games that get a bad rap. So, you know, the first person shooter games are a lot of what sort of is preventing parents from letting kids dive into VR at, I can't say everywhere, but at the school I was at before, as well as the school I'm at now, you know, the kid has to sign a waiver and Mm -hmm. I get a lot of emails and questions from parents Mm -hmm. about, are you just using it for games and gaming? Mm -hmm. And it's a careful dance. And I have to present to them that, you know, just so you know, no different than Oregon trail, that there is high value for certain games and gaming and education. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my, my things I had on my list that I thought maybe, either Zane or you, Ronnie, would have said was I get a lot of positive feedback from students about playing uh, Keep Talking and No One Explodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah, so... And it is. Yeah, that's a good it's one. totally educational. It's problem-solving. It's Teamwork. amazing yeah. communication no, skills. You, you limited us to three, man. And we're... we're <laughs> I'm a mo- I, I ha- like, like, Titans of... Sp- like, I had to include that, right? Like... It yeah. had an emotional attachment. I have an emotional attachment to that game, but like, but no, there's so many good. Yeah, because I yeah. I didn't even think about. And actually, a I, lot there's a lot of cool puzzle games out there yeah. that that are, I, have a I, lot of value. I, I will say this: I I do very very much enjoy that game, but I I, I would say that the the essence like the the true essence and crux of that game could be taken out of vr and still experienced you could have people in two different rooms looking at something else or playing a game even if it's on on two-dimensional and you would still get that same sense of urgency yes vr does make it a little bit more visceral for the person who's in there um but i think that's probably why it, it didn't immediately come to mind but uh now that you've kind of you know brought it up like yes there are definitely a lot of things in there especially from an educational standpoint when it comes to communication when it comes to being able to uh describe what you're looking at work together teamwork things like that it, it's got a lot of value but i just want to put that disclaimer on it even though i do love the game quite a bit and you know actually i wanted to also add like when it comes to you know viewing vr as an empathy machine and all of these different, you know, uh, recently I got a chance to interview uh, Lucas Risotto. He uh, developed uh, Where Thoughts Go. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you're bringing this up because this is on my, uh, my list of to talk about. Because, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I'm excited that this is coming up because I just yesterday on my run listened to this episode of yours and he dove into a lot of things that you guys are alluding to and that is that there's more and more people thinking of alternative ways to to make VR content. So go ahead and, and talk about this because I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, no, I, I just really liked his approach to development in terms of, I mean, he was all about kind of uh, trying to see where he got emotional responses from players and kind of build on that. And, and, I, and, and with Where Thoughts Go... I mean, really, I think what the crux of that experience is, and it's really not a game, it's, it is an experience, um, but it's all about um, answering tough questions and kind of learning from uh, other people that have kind of shared their thoughts about those same types of questions. And the way it's handled in the game, I mean, it's really like you feel like you're isolated, you feel like you're in a safe space, and putting on the headset just further emphasizes that. 
And I, I mean, me personally, when I was, when I was uh, going through the experience myself, I mean, I, I really felt like I was thinking really long and hard about a lot of the questions that were posed in a much more thoughtful way than I would if I was just reading a list of questions. Like it was yeah. like the way it was all set up um, was, 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 was very, uh, I mean, it, empathy um, came to mind when I, when I play it because it, it, when you're listening to these people, the mood that it sets, you take every, everyone's thoughts very seriously and it, it makes it that much more important for you to kind of think of the, uh, of the questions, you know, it, you know, in a thoughtful way as well. So it, and, and like you said, like he talked about, um, uh, different people, um, yeah. and trolling. He talked about trolling too, which I thought was poignant. Yep. yep. Yeah. And, sure. and, and I actually liked, I really thought the ways that, I mean, a lot of the ways that he combats trolling in the game is through creating the right environment to, and, and the right incentives for people to not troll. I mean, basically that uh, you don't really get benefits from trolling in the game and, and, and the mood itself kind of m- makes people feel like they shouldn't like, like, dude, why, why am I going to be a jerk when uh, people are really pouring their hearts out about all these important things? So, um, I, yeah, I, I liked his approach just in general. And I thought that, um, I thought it was a good illust- illustration of, I mean, part, one could say that some of the people that are like part of the reason why the, the multiplayer crowd in VR, I'd say, is, is more civil than your average multiplayer crowd in, in general games. Like in my experience, the VR, the people that you interact with in certain VR titles, I mean, multiplayer uh, games, um, they're just much more helpful and much more, they're just, they're more like normal people than I think you come across in some other places on the internet. And I think some of that happens from, there's less of an, 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 an blah, I, I'm tongue tied right now. You're not able to really be as anonymous in VR, I think, as you are in a lot of other games or titles. On the like, there's you feel like you're more a part of of the interaction, I think, in VR. And so, just in my experience, you find less people kind of uh, just doing silly things. Or there, there's obvious um, examples of where that hasn't been the case. Um, and and some of those things, I mean, I know. Uh, I don't have the the knowledge or info off the top of my head, but um, I remember back a while, like a while now, um, there were some really interesting uh, either articles or um, answers to interviews that some of the developers behind Rec Room gave on online, like on harassment in VR. Yeah, I and, remember and, that. That and, was a big and, one too. Yeah, and, and some of the things that they were doing in Rec Room to to avoid um, allowing people to 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 engage in those types of behaviors because in VR uh, like on one hand um, I think I think the per, the the uh, what's it called the the high degree of like of personal connection in VR I think de-incentivizes people to behave in strange ways but it can all I mean when it does happen it can also be more intrusive I would say yeah. so so he 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 did a really good job of of talking about some of those issues. And I mean, obviously these are all human problems that, I mean, we, we, you still face, I mean, regardless of how much like, uh, like monitoring you do in schools, I mean, there's bullying is obviously a big problem with, with kids and, and with people in general. And, um, so think, think about how amazing this would be. Um, 
you know, you, you talked about your story of being in the computer lab and, and not really getting the whole point to typing. Well, you know, think of a, a game like what we're talking about, where thoughts go. And what if, what if the guidance counselor or the, uh, the school counselor had his own or her own VR setup and was trying to work with a kid who was, you know, a big bullier or, you know, I guess it would equate to trolling, etc. And they put the headset on this boy or girl and they experience this and it totally makes them change their mind because yeah. that's the, that, that kind of power of immersion as opposed to right now, what's the approach often detention, sometimes, you know, some sort of escalating consequence. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and, and I think you know, that's a really interesting point as well, because when you, uh, when you, the way you said it, and I, I think this rings true is sometimes like, I think the bullying behavior comes out of the sense that, sometimes the bully doesn't really know how to engage or interact normally themselves, right? And they don't get the opportunity to do that in a, yeah. in a normal manner. So, so sometimes if, if a game is well-developed and, 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 well, and, and guides, guides people that might otherwise not you know, know how to engage a platform uh, you know, uh, from a positive standpoint, when they get a chance to do that and experience something in a positive light, that makes them more likely to, to engage with other things as well. So yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and the, the other thing I wanted to touch on that you had mentioned, because part of your question had to do with, you know, the, you know, shoot, uh, the fact that there are a lot of like shoot, uh, like shooting shooter games out there, um, like, and, and all that kind of stuff that, that parents would be concerned about. I mean, I, I would be concerned about that stuff too. Um, so I, I do think that, that, like, I mean, just like with, like, there's all kinds of content out there on all of, on lots of other types of platforms. I think the, the main thing to, to remind people of is just the fact that there's always, there's good and bad on pretty much any type of, uh, tool, like everything mm -hmm. can be used for, for, for good or evil. And so I, I don't think that that's a reason to, to disclude it. I think it's just, it makes it important for for teachers and for people that are that are using the technology to be acquainted enough to where they can con they can control and monitor what's being used. Like I I think I think there's certain games certainly that I've played that I wouldn't want my 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 like my uh, my younger relatives for example to play, um, but I just don't let them play those games or I don't let them know about those games or. Um, so, so I'm not sure exactly what yeah. controls would be like available in Steam or Oculus or any of the other platforms that uh, you'd be using in a school setting to make sure that certain types of things can't be downloaded. But yeah, um, I, I I would think it would be important to lock down experiences because you wouldn't want uh, the wrong things being played. Mm -hmm. But that said, with pro with the right curation, I, I don't think any of those worries um, are, are really relevant. Yeah, and just so I have one more topic. I know this is getting a, a little lengthy, but it's been such rich conversation. Uh, my well, last we're, topic. We're good, we're, we're good on time, Craig. So don't feel okay. don't feel obligated on us. So, but go ahead. No problem. Um, so we've already kind of danced around it already, but the idea of moving from being a, a consumer or a user of games and apps toward creating them and so uh, I know both of you already alluded to the idea that you aren't coming from uh, you know coding and programming backgrounds and then further to that it was really interesting 
to listen to the uh, author of Where Thoughts Go. Uh, his, his origin story was he wasn't a programmer or coder at all, but felt motivated to learn how to do this, to start to create his own experiences. Where are you guys at in regards to, you know, whether, you know, you're interested at all in trying to dive into your own developing and creating of VR experiences or not? Um, we were, we were just pointing at each other, figuring <laughs> out who wants to answer first. So that's why. Yeah. Do you want to go? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I, I know the simple, the, so first I want to, I want to, uh, you know, downplay any mentions of, of coding background that I had before because I did do some HTML, but it was very limited in scope. So I, I would not call myself like a, a coder or a programmer right now by any means. Um, I'd say, I mean, my, the first thought is that VR got us to creating our own podcast. So that's something. Um, we've, we've moved in the direction of kind of create, putting content out there, which is good. And, and we've, uh, developed analytical skills like you know analyzing a lot of the games and also uh, you know developing our our conversational and interviewing skills which I think has been important so that's that's one thing for us like uh, something that VR opened to to Zane and I was creating the Everything Vive podcast which is something you know we wouldn't have done um, if this medium didn't exist as far as like creating as like VR experiences go, I have definitely thought about it because I think like like a lot of people that enter that that become critics of a certain type of medium or um, analysts, uh, eventually you you are curious and 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 thinking like man, what could I come up with if I had if I understood the tool set and I was able to create and so I I mean I've been thinking that from the beginning kind of you know being being interested in creating, um, but not really knowing exactly how to go about it. And I think in a medium like VR, I think what becomes so inspirational and why I, I have signed up for, for classes on, uh, on learning how to code using, you know, using like the Unreal Engine and Unity and those kind of things. Um, part of the reason I think I was motivated to sign up for those classes and start learning is the fact that this is such a new medium. So just like I think when I was young, uh, computers were pretty new and kind of an un and, and you, I hear stories all the time of people that um, learned how to code, um, you know, in the 80s on a Commodore 64 or like really old systems, you know, back, back when they were growing up because they were relatively new. Um, coding on those systems was relatively easy. And uh, it was kind of like the Wild West, you know, there were, there were a lot of small, uh, you know, individuals and companies working on projects and kind of the sky was the limit in terms of um, what you were able to do because there just wasn't a whole lot created yet. Mm -hmm. I think similar, VR right now is, 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 is in its infancy stage. And there's as, as many as, even though there are like hundreds of titles in Steam and in the Oculus store that you can go and try, if you, if you buy one of these headsets... I mean, a lot of them are created by, by amateurs, by people that are just learning as they're going. Um, there's still so much that can be done in this medium that hasn't been done yet. And I really think that um, what VR allows for, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, there is the coding side, but then there's just all of these new human inputs. Um, the fact that, that, that the system is, is, it can, can 
account for where you're looking and where you're moving and what you're doing with your hands and all of these things. There's so many creative ways to take those inputs and kind of translate that into something. And I think, um, I think introducing people early to what's possible in VR and then, and then through podcasts like ours and, and through a lot of resources out there, realizing and co- that and connecting with some of these people that are also experimenting mm-hmm. and realizing, like one of the biggest things that I, I would say is a blessing for me in terms of being a part of our podcast um, is getting a chance to talk to these people that have created these amazing experiences in VR and realizing like, like the... Uh, like the Lucas Risottos of the world, like uh, a lot of the other people that we've talked to, that um, that this isn't something that if you're really passionate, if if you really are um, interested and excited to try to to try to jump in, that you really can do it. That there's that there's more ways now than ever before. And now is probably uh, the best time. And now is the best time. Um, mm. And 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 I would say that like as like I mentioned that I had an art background before, but I ended up going into law. Well, part of the reason I think that happened is because I don't think it's always, it's not always obvious to everyone growing up that every option out there is something for them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love technology. I loved movies. I loved all of, like the, the, from the visual effects standpoint, all this stuff. I loved all of these things and admired it, but I, I'm not sure that I always viewed it as something that I could be a part of per se. Um, so I think it's important to make sure that kids realize that they can be a part of it, that they can create the very things that they love and enjoy. And I think that for the right people that have the, that creative spark, uh, learning that as early as possible can be really, really beneficial. Good answer. Yeah, so for me, this is actually tough to admit, I guess, but now, now that you're making me think about it, Craig, I... You know, I I took one computer science class in college, and I hated it. I cheated <laughs> off my friend the entire semester, and then I was like, "This is just not for me." <laughs> so, um, you know, like I I think when it comes to uh, I guess the arts slash creative side versus the technical side, I definitely lean towards the arts and creative. And this is not to say that they're incompatible. I think probably the most successful people are the ones that learn how to balance both of those, um, but just to answer your question as directly as possible, have I ever felt compelled to dive into unity and learn how to do that? Um, the, the answer would be no. I think there have been times when I've flirted with the idea simply because I felt like it may be the right thing to do. It may be the lucrative thing to do right now. Um, but I haven't been able to convince myself because I don't think that's truly who I am. And, um, and so that's, that's just me being honest with, with where I'm coming from, but I just, I, I, I'm a huge believer in the technology and just technology in general, like I'm following AI as well. And so there's just, you know, for, for me, like I, I want to be a part of it, uh, in terms of like, you know, Ronnie talking about starting this podcast, like for me, it was just being able to cover it and, and forcing myself to stay on top of news and developments and things like that, um, I think, I mean, Ronnie and I kind of joked about back in the day in terms of maybe even like creating a game ourselves just because we had done that. But I think it never ever went anywhere because neither of us had that technical background or wanted to put in the time. And so at this point, I think the only areas where I've probably dabbled with is how can I 
create VR content that would be compatible with the other areas of my life. So uh, one thing that I have looked into into is, you know, maybe potentially recording like 360 video or some type of VR development for for my music uh, and, and being able to create new and, and cool experiences through that. Although, again, because I don't have that technical side, it's a lot of talking to people and then when I learn what's required or the equipment, things like that, it's just, it wouldn't be a good use of my time. I think I'd need to find somebody to partner with in order to, to, uh, do something along those lines, which, which is probably just a very, very complicated and fancy way of me saying that I'm lazy right now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have limited hours in the day and I, I, I try to, uh, I try to stay focused on the things that I feel will bring the most return, um, in terms of happiness, in terms of just everything. But yeah, I just want to say one thing. Uh, on Zane's answer, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a great answer, of course. Um, I think once VR tools get to where they need to be, and AR tool, like in, in general, like I, I think tools move in this direction. I, I think the goal of some of this stuff is to make things so easy that you want to be able, you want creatives like Zane to be able to not know the technical side of things mm-hmm. and still be yes. able to create. Exactly. And, 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 and we, so, we will get there yeah. at some point. And so, yeah. No, so I mean, so I think the fact that, I mean, right now, I think we've done, uh, we're like we're doing the best we can to kind of use the tool sets that are out there. And we've dabbled with trying to use uh, VR, like program, like big screen and some of these other uh, apps that are out there in order to kind of, make our show a little bit more VR. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think eventually some of these tools will get to the point where um, you don't really have to think of it necessarily as just creating VR. Um, you can use all of these tools to create music, to create art, to create um, anything you want to. And, and where it makes sense to use VR, I think you'll start to see it go, more go that route. That's what, I mean, I, I, I really think whether these consumer versions of the headsets take off from mm-hmm. a, like a, on a, from a financial standpoint or not. I think, I think eventually this technology, like this technology isn't going to go away because it has a lot of very, uh, very great uses. Yeah. And so I think some of, I, I think just creation in general is going to be one of those things where I don't think VR will ever go away. It just needs to improve to the point where it, it it's, it's super easy and, in. and, to be able to implement into normal workflows. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to, to sound like super discouraging from my standpoint. I, I think that at some point I, I would want to get involved maybe when it's a level that, that makes sense or if I was able to find somebody that I could partner with to create the type of content that I wanted to. But uh, at this point, in terms of my relationship w- with VR, uh, being able to cover and just being close to it and, and, and cutting edge and learning is is kind of where I'm good at right now or what, I, what I'm really enjoying. And, uh, you know, I, like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm hoping to go to GDC for the first time. Maybe that'll change my mind uh, in, in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, that that to me, I think, is it's, it's going to vary from person to person. Not everybody can be a coder. Not everybody can be a doctor. Like, it's just going to be one of those things. And so I maybe it's because I had such a bad experience initially that I, I've stayed away from it. But I just to flip it around and, and maybe to even go back to what you were asking in, in the last question, um, I, I, I applaud you, Craig. Like, I, I think that, you know, what you're doing to be able to, to show this to kids is truly important. And I, I think that um, there's there's no way to, to measure the impact. And I'm not just, uh, you know, brown nosing. Like, I, I don't think that there's any <laughs> true way to measure the impact because 
when you think about it, how many of those kids, you know, when, when Ronnie and I gro- were growing up, how many of those kids were so fascinated by how the, the horse and cart moved in Oregon Trail that led them to become software developers that are creating things at GE and these companies now, right? Like, what, it, what was it that, that sparked something in them? But the only way that something could be sparked was exposure to the technology. So when you ask, like, if we need these in schools and the po- pros and cons, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a very big optimist when it comes to the future and technology. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, like, you are going to get kids who will play shooters and maybe that will have a positive or negative impact. I'm not, just to, just to clarify, I'm not one of those negative, like, I believe video games are bad people uh, for, or for kids at all. Um, I think that it should definitely be a conversation around it. But my broader point is that I think, you know, this is the, this is the world that, you know, kids, and I don't have any kids, but hopefully one day when I do, this is the world that our kids are growing up in. You know, and, and I think to deny them access to technology uh, and, and to learn how to interact with it is, is doing them a great disservice because then you're just putting them behind. You're not teaching them. In fact, what I think is important is to teach kids how to have a healthy relationship with technology. And uh, I think you're going to find kids who are just naturally inclined to, to um, move towards certain things. And, and, you know, for me, when I have kids, it's just like I, I don't want to limit them in any way because – screen time is bad or this is bad, you know, and that's, a, that's a, a, a point that, you know, my wife contends with, but that's a, that's a, something that we'll tackle when we get there. But the idea is that I, I think there's nothing more amazing than, than children's, and I, I won't even limit it to children's, but just people in general and natural curiosity. And I think being able to throw gasoline on that fire and be, and, and you know, just, just broaden the opportunities and horizons of, of what kids are um, exposed to. And then being able to to say like, okay, well, you're interested in this. Why are you interested? How can we help you develop what you're interested in? You know what I mean? Like b- being able to make kids very self-aware of why they're interested in something I think is something that could be very valuable, especially with this, but just in a general sense as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, again, I, I applaud you for, for what you're doing in the school that uh, – in the schools that you have, have really established this with. And, um, yeah, I mean – Hopefully by the time you know Ronnie's kid is is in school and uh, <laughs> she'll be she'll be wearing VR goggles through all of her classes, <laughs> learning about Jupiter and Mars and playing uh, Titans of Space. She'll be famous for creating something that uh, Ronnie had no idea how to create. So See, there you go. <laughs> that would be amazing. Listen, that was uh, thanks, Zane. Those were very kind words. Um, you know, I can flip it back to you guys. When I first sort of bought my own unit. Like you guys, I am a podcast junkie, and there was not much out there. And uh, thankfully, I stumbled across your guys' podcast, which has been, uh, for me, great because it's not in the education realm. In other words, I've learned a lot from you guys in regards to the fact that, you know, I think education speak kind of follows in circles. And for you guys, you know, you're about games and developers from more kind of the everyday person perspective, which has helped me a lot sort of know what I want to do uh, in schools with kids and dealing with parents. So I appreciate your podcast so much. Well, thank you for listening. Again, like Ronnie and I started this from my old apartment uh, living room. And uh, well, actually now we're just in my new apartment living room. So we have, <laughs> it hasn't changed much, but you know, it, it is, it is amazing to, to hear from folks like you who 
there has been a positive impact. And honestly, like that's, that's part of the reason that we do it. Just a lot, a lot of our listeners too are developers who, who get a lot out of listening to developers who are maybe a couple steps ahead of them. So, you know, for us, like at the end of the day, it's, it's the satisfaction. We get satisfaction just from doing it and being able to cover a lot of the stuff. But then the, the kind of cherry on top is really uh, a lot of the feedback that we get where it's, it's helping people because again, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm just playing complete hypothetical here, but I, I love being able to think that, there's some there's some kid who's who checked out our podcast with a certain developer that sparked their interest that's going to create the next Facebook of the future you know like to me to me there's no way to measure that type of impact but I think being able to capture people's stories being able to capture the the great work that they're doing and how that's impacting our culture and society um, and then being able to pass that on to people who are n- interested in this and looking for content looking for ways to learn again I, there's no way to measure that but um, you know I'm hoping that we are doing our part and uh, you know it's from from what you're doing in the education space i'm really excited because i know you're doing your part with that and so you know it's just it's exciting it's an exciting time to be in vr uh, no matter what angle you're looking at it from or what lens you're looking at it through amen brother well said so for the yeah, two oh, plus- i just want to thank you as well but no continue <laughs> before I, yeah cuz i i was very humbled and and appreciative of all of your all of your kind words so well, I was just going to say for the two plus listeners, one being my mom that I have for my <laughs> well, hello, podcast, <laughs> how, how can uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? So uh, if you just search everything Vive, we are in uh, the iTunes store. We are in uh, Stitcher and most of the major platforms. We just got added to Spotify, which is fun. Um, I, I would say, yeah, everything Vive on any of those platforms. If you would like to get in touch uh, with us directly, we'd be more than happy to. We get emails um, regularly and, and, and love just kind of communicating and, and just building our network with, with folks. So, uh, it's going to be contact at everything vive for me. And then Ronnie R O N N I E at everything vive.com for, uh, Ronnie. Awesome. I'm going to stop the recording and then just sort of tidy up any loose ends we have. Thanks guys. Sure. Thanks again, Craig. Thank you. What's up, guys? Zane here. Welcome back for another episode of the show. Uh, We are excited about this one. This is actually an interview we did with Craig from the VR in Education podcast. And it's an interview we did for his podcast specifically, but we wanted to share the audio with you guys here. Uh, Craig is doing some awesome work in the educational space when it comes to VR. So please make sure you check out his show and all the work that he's doing. We'll make sure to link that up in the show notes. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, but uh, this was a fun one for us to dive into uh, VR's role in education. So hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to VR in Education. Today, we have some amazing guests on. Today, from a really popular show that I listen to all the time, Everything Vive, we have Zane and Ronnie. Why don't you guys introduce yourself? And then as you're introducing yourself, Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with higher-end immersive VR. 
Ronnie, you want to go first or should I go first? Um, you know, you I, know what? Let, let me go first because mine is the less interesting story. <laughs> nah, I, I don't know about that. But. I, so, so the the way that we kind of frame things first, and and Craig, first of all, thank you for having us on the show. We're we're really excited about it, and I know we've been trying to connect for a while. So I'm glad we finally had some time where it worked for all of us. Uh, but my yeah. my path to VR is here only because of Ronnie. So Ronnie's been the one that's uh, been following VR for a while, and he'll get into his background in it. Uh, we like to break it down, at least primarily on the show, as co-hosts, uh, where Ronnie is the expert and I'm the enthusiast. I come in with no real technical knowledge, but I just get excited about stuff. So a couple of years ago, I guess about, wow, two and a half years ago now at this point, uh, in August of 2016, so a couple of months after the launch of the Vive, um, Ronnie, Ronnie and, and my wife know each other. Uh, they grew up together, and so Ronnie and I got to know each other. Through there, but I wouldn't say that we were necessarily close at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I heard that we had a double date dinner. We were going over to uh, Ronnie's and uh, Ronnie and his wife's place for dinner, and uh, they were going to show us some VR. And at that point, I, I'm air quoting VR because all I knew was Google Cardboard, and so I was not excited. I was just not. I mean, I I, I shouldn't make it sound like I didn't want to go to dinner. I just wasn't hyped up because I'm like, oh, I've done Google Cardboard VR. That sounds cool. Whatever. But uh, we go in, I try the Vive, I step out of it, and I the first thing I say is I cannot believe this technology is here already, and I'm three months late to the launch, or four months late to the launch. Like, this is actually pretty incredible. Uh, and so, long story short, for the next, I want to say, week and a half, it was all I could think about. I played Longbow and uh, uh, from from the lab, and uh, I would I would see it while in my sleep, so... I, I knew I had to get one, and at some point my wife was just like, okay, you can stop talking about it and just get one already. So <laughs> I got one. Ronnie helped me build a, a, a PC that would handle it at that time, although I think that's probably a lot easier to do now. Or There's a lot more VR-ready PCs. But, um, yeah, and, and at that point, I guess to kind of dive into how the podcast started, like I'm a huge podcast junkie, so I, I, when I dive into something, I, I get really into it. And uh, I, I was looking for a podcast about virtual reality, about the HTC Vive, and there wasn't anything at the time. And I've always heard it's best, you know, the, the best ideas are when you're scratching your own itch. So um, I come from an audio engineering background, and it was just something where I was like, Ronnie, you want to just start talking about this stuff? Because, like, these games are really cool, and I think it'd be fun to look back in 30 years and be like, oh, remember when we tried the first-generation Vive titles, blah, 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 that stuff. So here we are a couple years later, and... Um, yeah, that's that's been my journey, and I, I'm I'm very very excited. I'm a huge uh, proponent of virtual reality, and um, again, coming at it from a complete enthusiast side, I do not have any technical background, but I enjoy following it. I enjoy the cultural impact it is having, and that it will have in the future. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of it for me. I don't know if Ronnie wants to take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so I'm Ronnie. I'm the other co-host and co-founder of Everything Vive, and. Yeah, I mean, I guess to uh, to start with a little bit of my background, I'm an attorney by trade, um, but on the side, I've always been into technology, just really had a passion for computers since I was a kid. Um, it's, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, exactly like how many, th- you know, where where it all started. I mean, probably in the, you know, in, in the mid nineties or so I was, you know, messing around with like HTML and, 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 and trying to make my own websites. And then, uh, like a lot of people back then, you know, just getting your hands on, I I think the first computer I really like spent a lot of time with, um, there was a, like an old Packard Bell, 
486 or 386, I can't remember what, but um, that my parents had. And then eventually we we got an Intel. I think it was, I, I don't think we ever had a Pentium processor. We, we had a Pentium 2 uh, uh, computer that, you know, me and my brother got to mess around with. And I kind of like a lot of people, I think, with some of this stuff, especially when they're learning, they mess with things and break it and then have to find a way to fix it. And that's kind of what progresses you from, you know, not knowing much about anything to slowly kind of figuring out that, you know, you, you might be able to, to, to do some cool stuff on your own. So, you know, I, I started messing around with, with computers, you know, when, when I was just probably, I don't know, in middle school or sometime around that time. And just always really was fascinated with mostly consumer technology, computers, console gaming, like you, you name it. And, and usually from the side of like the technical aspects, I just was always really fascinated with what people could do. Like a lot of times uh, when, I was, when I was buying games and graphics cards and all that stuff in the you know, late 90s or so, um, it was usually just to kind of marvel at what people were able to really uh, produce on using computers and technology. So I, I've always just, from a from a from a technology standpoint, really admired. I think some of the art that's being put out there by all of these like incredible developers. And and I I, I had growing up, I I obviously didn't go that route. Um, I, I ended up going, you know, the law route, but I, I did a lot of art when I was a, a kid. And so I always was really just enamored by what people were able to create. So I think that's some of the stuff that kind of brought me to, uh, to, to VR eventually. And what, what, what later happened was, you know, probably I think the first time, so I, I just followed the, the computer graphics, computer technology, consoles, games, all that kind of stuff. Um, more casually um, until, you know, I think, I think it was around 2012-ish um, when I first caught wind of some of the early Oculus stuff. And I think, I mean, the, the first time I think VR really, like the, the idea that, that VR was really something that was possible and something that I, I was going to have to try, um, it was either 2012 or 2000, I think it was 2012. It was a video, I, I remember it very vividly. It was a it was a video uh, between, it was Palmer Lucky, and this was prior to, um, prior to Oculus really being a big name, prior to them getting John Carmack or anything like that. It was him showing off this like duct tape prototype of what eventually would be like a DK1, I guess, and uh, him showing it off to uh, Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb. I, I remember this video very vividly. And I just remember uh, that what they were showing off at the time was kind of a mock-up of Doom 3 running on this Oculus DK1. And I couldn't try it for myself, but hearing them talk about it over this video, it sounded incredible. I mean, they were talking about how you were able to look around in this environment and feel like you were really there. And all these kind of terms were coming up about, about presence and about... Uh, you know, the type of immersion that you would be able to experience and low latency of, 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 of head movement within the games and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just remember thinking, like, that's something that I have to try. And as soon as I realized that, it, you know, 
it was either several months or even a year later, I think, when the when the DK one was announced and they you know, Oculus I think had a, a Kickstarter and once once it was w- once people realized and once I realized that I was actually able to try a DK one for myself, I knew it wasn't like I regardless of the cost, I kind of was just looking at at well, you know, this isn't something that like I, I knew I was I was coming in at a really early stage. I'm not a developer myself, right? Um, so I knew that you know most of the stuff that was going to be out there wasn't going to be finished or finalized. Um, but at the same time, I knew I didn't want to wait a year or two years or three years, however long it was going to take for VR to just reach the normal consumer. I was like, I need to see what this technology is now. Because I, I, I knew that one day that this, that this potentially was going to be something really big. So that's when I, I ordered a DK1, and I was just astounded. I still remember trying that my first time. And then eventually... What did it, yeah. what did it cost back then when you bought it? Do you remember what it cost? You know, I don't remember. I mean, and, and at the time, uh, like I was probably more price sensitive than I, than I am now just because I was still a student and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but... It, it was, I mean, it was probably anywhere from like, for some reason in my head, I want to say it was close to four or $500, but I'm not sure. But that, I mean, that was literally like, you know, just the headset, no controllers, no software to speak of. And I mean, and, and we're talking, I mean, there was really no real, I think with the DK1, there wasn't really an Oculus SDK that you could, I'm trying to remember exactly how all the software worked, but like, Literally, I mean, when you when you installed it, I mean, the Windows just picked up the picked up the DK one like it was another monitor, and mm. so and so you would basically mirror the image from the PC screen to the to the like it wasn't until later I think that the I think it was actually the DK two which I never actually had where um, you started actually having the computer be able to kind of natively realize that oh this is a VR headset and I'm going to treat that differently than than like just a normal monitor or anything yeah. like that. So so this was literally, I mean, like we're talking whatever the, like now we're so used to seeing this like one screen or one lens kind of view of what's being shown in the, in the head mounted display on your t- screen. And then whatever, you know, you're experiencing in the headset. Back then, I mean, whenever, whatever was being shown on the monitor was usually like two, two lenses, the two different displays that were being, you know, projected to the, the H, HMD. And, and then that image was just exactly being duplicated in the headset. So like, so there were like a lot of these little things, like, like you had to have the headset. I'm trying to think of how, I don't think it connected natively through HDMI. I think back then, I mean, and, and there weren't a ton of HDMI ports on, on graphics cards back then either. But I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the headset, the DK one hooked up to my computer using a DVI port. And yeah, there was just like a lot of like, I, I mean, for me, I, I would be able to get it to work, but it was definitely one of those things like uh, we sometimes we take for granted how how much easier things have gotten since then. But yeah, so yeah, so, speaking, yeah. speaking of that, forward to when you finally got to try the, uh, the Vive. Yeah, so that's what so so I guess I mean, the first time so I so I got the DK one. And that was kind of a big investment for me. And I, I, you know, messed around with all the demos that were being put out by all these amazing people that a lot of them later became, you know, 
bigger developers or started their own companies around this this stuff. Um, I know Servios and some of those people. I mean, they were putting out uh, little tech demos and stuff before they even knew that they were going to be really starting anything. So so messed around with all that kind of stuff. Um, didn't get a chance to try the DK2, though. I was very tempted at certain points. And when the when they when they opened pre-orders for the Rift and the Vive, I actually pre-ordered both. So that was <laughs> that was when I knew that, like, because because and and I mean, kind of going back to that time, Oculus had been a big player for a while. I mean, that was really they were the ones that kind of built the hype, I think, around VR at the time, and really got people starting to believe. They were releasing the developer kits and. And I, I think that was getting the big push. Kind of, I mean, kind of late to the game, honestly. Um, I remember hearing that Valve had been working on their own uh, VR headset and VR system and that they were going to be launching in a similar uh, time period to the Rift. And, and I, you started hearing rumblings about Lighthouse technology and that you were going to be able to actually have room scale VR, which at the time... I mean, that was something that you were only hearing in connection to the Vive and, and what Valve was doing. You weren't really hearing any of that stuff from Oculus. It was, with Oculus, it was all about, you know, kind of a seated or standing experience at the time. So I just remember being very conflicted because on one hand, like I couldn't wait to get a Rift. But on the other hand, the more and more I heard about the Vive, I was like, man, like some of this stuff just sounds too amazing. And, and, and having the, the PC background, I had always been a huge fan of Valve and everything that they had done. So I like on one hand, I, I, I saw in, you know, Facebook eventually purchased Oculus, you know, prior to the launch of the Rift. And so there was just there was all that momentum as far as, you know, the, the business side. And really, I mean, from the enthusiast side too, all these people that had supported had been supporting Oculus and the fact that Oculus had kind of made VR something that, you know, was gonna become real soon. On the other hand, the Vive was coming out and it looked like it might be technologically superior and it had Valve backing it and, and room scale and light, like all these, all these things that just sounded so futuristic, you know, you, like, you know, you, you were, it was going to be like Star Trek, right? You were going to, you were going to be able to, to actually walk into a space and experience a, a different, a different environment. So, so yeah, so that's, so my, initially I, I pre-ordered both and I was like, I'm going to have to really think about this and maybe I'll cancel one at some point that never happened. So <laughs> I, I just ended up having both and, and my vibe, I mean, around that time, I don't know if, 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 if you guys like, uh, had, had kind of been in the space yet or if you had, but, uh, Oculus was having a lot of trouble, I think, um, in terms of just meeting the demand at the very offset. So even though I thought I was going to be getting my rift earlier, I ended up getting my vibe much earlier. So, so I ended up trying the Vive prior to trying the Rift. And I remember the first night setting up the, the lighthouse, like getting that huge package in the mail. And like at the time, the first box that you got the Vive in was just this like massive, heavy, like very like, you know, substantial feeling package. And they did a really good job of just, you know, making you feel like you were getting something that was just going to be incredible. So I remember opening it up and setting it all up and, and, you know, doing some of the, the first kind of room setup stuff, um, you know, through Steam VR and already be just like completely like, uh, you know, amazed by that stuff because I could actually walk around and, you know, you, you felt with the DK1, there was no uh, outside tracking. So everything, 
I mean, as, as far as what it could sense, you were kind of on a pivot point. Um, but there wasn't like a camera system that could see like the, the other axis of your movement. So, so you couldn't actually move from, from spot to spot. It was just, you know, using gyros more or less to get, to get the movements. So being able to all of a sudden walk around and move, um, in that, in that extra, you know, access. And then like, I, I just remember it being incredible. And I mean, one of the, the first thing I think that really like stands out from that first night that I tried the Vive was, uh, trying, uh, the blue by, by we VR. Yep. And, and literally just like laying down in the middle of the floor of my apartment and feeling like I was in a completely different place and just like, just, just staring at the same. And like, and nowadays, like I'm thinking like, man, that must not have been comfortable for my head. <laughs> like I had all these wires behind me, but like at the time I was just like literally just amazed by it all. And I, I remember just sitting there and staring at like, you know, out at the open ocean for, you know, for, for a long time. To, and to this day, I still use the blue with, uh, especially with, younger students because it's uh um it's just quick and easy right you don't yeah, have to yeah. use a hand no, it's and... it's definitely one of the best like intro titles for anybody getting into vr or trying vr for the first time i think and i i, I honestly think that it's gonna stand the test of time like there's it it's the graphic fidelity is fantastic uh you know it's gonna take a lot to really surpass that but just the simplicity of it and just for somebody who is starting you know who's never tried this before. I think it really gives you a good sense of scale and a sense of presence. Yeah. And, and so, so Oh, go, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to quickly finish my story. So, so yeah, so that was me intro into VR and all of that. And really, yeah, I, I was just showing, I, I showed it to as many people as I could in those early days. And, uh, Zane was, that one, was of, one of them. Yeah. Zane, <laughs> Zane was, was one of those people, but you know, I could just tell from the beginning, like Zane was super serious about, man, he's like literally the next day he was like, I'm building a computer. Like I'm doing all this stuff. Like I'm figuring this out because this is, this is going to be big and I, I need to be a part of it. And when he, I mean, when he offered, when he mentioned the idea of a podcast and finding a way to kind of, cause, cause some of that came from the early, I mean, just, we would have long conversations about what it was going to take to kind of build a PC that he needed and, and like what he was saying back then, um, you couldn't get really laptops or anything like that that had GPUs really fast enough to, to run VR well. So, I mean, really the only sensible thing at the time was to build something. So, um, so, so we just had these long conversations of what we were going to set up for him and then like... Or, all, the, or the different games yeah, and all experiences the, we were and trying. Then, and then all the different games and all that stuff. And at one point he was just like, you know, why don't we just you know, record some of these conversations we're having because they're super fascinating. And, and at the time there were, there were so many people out there that were just getting into it or didn't know how to get in. And so we really wanted to make a resource to kind of, you know, ease people into what, what we knew was going to be a really big thing. And uh, I had always been fascinated with the media and press side of the gaming industry. I, I had followed uh, you know, a lot of that stuff for, for years and decades and always appreciated uh, being able to, to learn about the technology and the games and all of that stuff that I loved um, with personalities and people that, that I, I, I over time really, you know, admired and, and appreciated their viewpoints. So yeah, it was, it was one of those things I always kind of wanted to do and, 
and Zane made it super easy for me. So. <laughs> Just show up and talk, Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie, has your gaming time gone up? Or Zane, either, either of you two, I know Zane didn't talk a lot about being much of a gamer before uh, you got into the VR and the Vive. Either one of you guys, would you say we're gaming more now, even though you're in your adult stage of your life, or less? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I went from not gaming at all, really. I think the last system that I, I truly owned was like the PlayStation 2. I... I use a lot of friend systems while I was in college and then beyond just, you know, but I, I had kind of gotten out of the, the gaming side of things for a while. And this, this reignited it because for me, like it, yeah, the games are fun, but it's, there's just something else about VR and I, and I hate talking about it in such a atmospheric way, but you know, it's, it, there was just something very, very, um, that just drew you in and every kind of, you know, it's, everything is just so new and so fresh right now. And still like we're almost three years into the, you know, after the release of the Vive and there's still very like unique experiences coming out because it's a platform that you can't describe, you know? And I, I think one of the best ways to, to talk about it, one of the things that I saw, and I'm not going to take credit for this and I, I probably on Reddit or somewhere, like I, I think one of the, the examples people were giving were like, Trying to explain virtual reality to someone is, you know, when there was no film trying to explain what a movie looked like to to someone, you know, back in the day. And uh, I, I think it's hard for us to maybe understand that just with how inundated we are with media in general now and having video on literally every device we own. But there, you know, there is something to be said about like a first for some type of experience to be able to literally stand in another world and have your actions be replicated on a one-to-one -one basis, um, you know, or at least as close to a one-to-one -one basis as possible. And granted, you don't have your fingers and things like that, but, you know, the, the brain makes up for so much of it, you know, and, and I think especially when you see little kids jumping in and just immediately uh, grasping what it takes, like, you know, you, you get in there and I think there's a, a lot of these things tend to be very intuitive. I'm not, I'm not talking about games or experiences specifically, but just, just being in there, like people start walking around, you don't have to tell them anything. And if you explain the buttons to them, you know, they, they naturally and slowly start to get things. And obviously people who come from a gaming background, I've noticed pick things up very quickly because you're using controllers rather than your own hands. But, uh, you know, that's only going to change and improve as time goes on. Yeah. And for me, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting question because, I really have to think hard about about how to how to best answer it. I would say, I mean, to some degree, I play I play less and more games than I did previously. So, uh, kind of like I was saying before, I was always into games. I think I was I'm always going to be into games, um, but I've I've always really been into them more from like a uh, like an admiration of the technology, art, and all of that side. Like I, I'll get into certain games and and, and really play those games a lot, but I, I tend to be kind of a buffet game player where I buy lots of games and play lots of games a short amount of time. And just because I, I, I don't have always enough time to, to, to play all, like all the games from beginning to end, but I always want to kind of see what people are working on and see where the technology is going and, uh, you know, get a chance to kind of, uh, you know, get a sense of, of all of the different types of games that are out there. So, so, so beforehand, I would say, like, I would, you know, I would, I, I'm always buying games, always trying all of the new games that are being released. 
Um, but you know, ev- just every so often getting really into cer- sucked into certain games and playing those to completion. That's that's kind of how I, I was in the past. Uh, so for some, to some, res- in some respects, VR is kind of the perfect thing for for people like me because you have a lot of shorter experiences that um, that you're able to complete. Uh, you know, with with less of a time commitment than some of these, you know, other, you know, AAA console games that, you know, you have to put in like, you know, 100 hours plus to actually to actually beat. So so that so that's one thing is in VR, um, I've been able to complete a lot more titles than than I was previously. Um, But the other thing is just from a technology standpoint, I think VR, um, like I was saying before, a lot of times, it, it wasn't just the graphics, but it was the art, the atmosphere, like all of uh, the fact that I think in games, whether it's VR or just traditional games, um, that artists are really in control of creating an entire world. And obviously with VR, you can step into that world to a more realistic degree, but in, in traditional games too, you're still engaging and interacting in a completely, um, you know, created from the ground up type of a of 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 a, of a world when when done well um, a, a video game can be much more fully realized and you can actually explore those kind of game worlds uh, you know to such a, uh, a higher degree than any you know any other type of of media be it tv movies etc those are all very highly crafted experiences and and the thing is i, I think games uh they're experiences that are crafted in a different way they're crafted the best games, I, I think, are crafted in ways that, you know, the, the, the author has, uh, you know, often has something that they're trying to get across, but they're also, I think some of the best games are sandboxes where the authors mm. are creating a set of tools that then people can, can use to kind of create their own narratives, um, create their own space and all of that. So, and, 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 so, and so for that reason, I was always interested in kind of experiencing those things VR just took that to a new level. And, and, and for people like me, I think, for people out there that want to experience a lot of different types of things, maybe not necessarily, you know, I, I'm not sure that, you know, competitive players or players that are in it just for, quote-unquote, the gameplay, I, I'm not sure that all of those things are necessarily there yet to the, the highest extent in VR, in my opinion, compared to, you know, games like Fortnite and all the all these other competitive games that people are really into nowadays that aren't VR. Um, VR, I think, is a little bit different, and, and surely there are examples, games like Onward, and where people are super into them, super competitive, but I think the strength of the medium tends to be uh, these experiences that do, they, they share with, ga- with, with traditional games in terms of allowing people to interact with the world and and, 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 and play, but I think they're, they, they, they're different um, in that I think the, the, the biggest benefits that you get out of VR is being able to, uh, you know, is, is, is the experience of being in those environments, that sense of presence. I, I think the strongest VR titles uh, maximize presence and, and use that to bring something to players uh, that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. And it's funny you say that because it's not till in my experience anyway that someone actually straps on the headset and truly sees the immersion. I almost want to use the word for me anyway. It was it was magic for me 
when I first put on the headset, I had literally no idea it was going to be that realistic, that immersive. And, and that's sort of how, that's my origin story was I was at the mall with my 15-year-old son and he wanted to stop in at the Microsoft store because they had one set up that you could demo. And so he tried it and he basically was adamant that I strapped this thing on because I wasn't a gamer at all. And uh, so I, I really thought this thing was more for the gamers out there until, yeah. until, like you said, Ronnie, until I realized that it was so experiential. Mm-hmm. No, and anyway, I, I'm going to... Yeah. 